Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind, I'm Paul John Dykes and this week Kevin Graham and Martin Donaldson will be speaking to Joe McLinden about his musical career and of course his love of Celtic. Welcome to the show Joe. Hello, how's it going? The first question we always ask everybody on a Celtic State of Mind is what and who is your Celtic team? I mean I think I went to, kind of my memories of, kind of going to football originally was with my dad, my dad always took me um, and that was through, probably through the 80s actually, you know. Big Roy Aitken and all that kind of malarkey, Danny McGrain, Frank McGarvey, all that kind of crew. So early 80s, 82, yeah. 83 type. Yeah, I mean, that's what I grew up with, you know, but I think I had, I mean, when I was really young, um, my hero was obviously, was Kenny Dalglish, you know, but if you were to say who was my true Celtic hero now, it's got to be Henrik Larsson. I think just growing through all of that, you know. And there's so many different stages of, of seeing Celtic and um, kind of growing up in Lanarkshire. Didn't get to go a lot when I was younger. Um, you know the local team was was motherwell, but my dad was the Celtic fan, and we're actually good family friends with the uh, Kelly family, Kevin Kelly. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realise through my kind of when I was younger that going to see Celtic, I was always in the upper stand near the director's box. I thought that was how you went to football. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So that was my kind of near the priest gate and all that kind of market. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That, that was kind of how I grew up and looking over at everyone else, seeing how crowded it was everywhere else. Do you know what I mean? What was your first game? I don't know. I'd have to ask my dad, but he's dead, so I don't know. I can't remember. How, how, how did you used to travel? Was it a supporters bus or...? did the supporters bus a few times, actually, but only with... Uh, it was kind of laterally in life, and it was with uh, Paul Quinn, who I know has been... been in. So Paul used to get, get take us on the Bells Hill bus, you know. But it was just in the car with my dad. 
would always come in the same kind of family I've got two sisters so the same thing on a Saturday was a trip to Glasgow and uh, my mum and sisters would get dropped off in town and they would pot around there and me and my dad would drive back out and park up the car some wee mad guy saying can I watch your car mister I could never understand all of that uh, and then we would go to the football we'd come back and then we'd go into uh, we always went to an Italian restaurant in Glasgow I think it was was it a solo meal or something like that that was kind of like the posh Italian well it was supposed to be it was posh for us anyway because we were from Lanarkshire you know so that was our kind of Saturday thing so pretty much, I, I mean, my memory says me I probably went to most home games with my dad you know very few away games and I was never allowed he never took me to see a Celtic Rangers game I think he went when he was younger and one of his friends got a bottle over the head or something like that it was one of those stories you know so mm-hmm. I could never understand that one either so I, I didn't go I don't think I went to Celtic Rangers game until I was in my late 20s maybe went with Jim Lambie Hamden and growing up in Lanarkshire as well I was never allowed to have a football strip colours because again when you're younger you don't quite understand why your parents are kind of being protective of you with that kind of stuff but even now I don't wear colours to the football you know and I certainly remember going to see that Celtic Rangers game with Jim and we were getting pelters from everybody because mm-hmm. we didn't have any colours on at all. So we were getting pelters from Celtic fans and Rangers fans just standing there going, <laughs> you know. Um, aye. So, I, you know, I went to a lot of football. I've got a really bad memory. I'll throw that in just now. Um, I'm not going to... If I can't remember things, I'll just have to say because <laughs> my brain's not working properly. I was half, half joking, but uh, yeah. You mentioned that you grew up in Bells Hill. You've also mentioned Paul Quinn, mm-hmm. who we've heard on the podcast. So when we interviewed Paul, he was talking about a wee punk band that he was in. And he says that they used to just kick about Bells Hill when all the cool cats went to Glasgow. Did you kick about Bells Hill? Or were you going into Glasgow with Jim Lambie and that? Obviously, I was going into Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, do you know, we actually... So, uh, I mean, for anybody that knows Lanarkshire, so there was... There's all this talk about Bells Hill, but there was a few of us. For example, I stayed in Hollytown, which is between Bells Hill and Motherwell, uh-huh. and a few of us stayed in Motherwell. But it's always this collective kind of Bells Hill thing. But we actually met on the train. So going way, way, way back, I think we were probably still at school, and we used to go busking. Me and three of my friends, Jim McCulloch being one of them who ended up being in the Soup Dragons and all the rest of it. We would go busking every Saturday to Glasgow. We'd get on the train, and Norman and Douglas and Sean Dixon got on the train as well. And after a while, you kind of notice people with instruments. And it was just that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. All right, you know. And you got talking, and that's how we became friends, basically. And then we realised we all stayed close to each other. And Norman <clears throat> stayed with his... Um, stayed his, his, his parents were working in Portugal at the time, I think. So Norman stayed with his grands right next to the station. And that's where we used to congregate. And, all, you know, and that's kind of... That was really the start of us all kind of... Kind of picking up instruments and and mucking about with music and all that kind of thing, you know. Did you come from a musical family? Well, I did. I mean, I was classically trained. I think I think back then, I played with so many of the bands that came out of Bells Hill because I could play a few instruments. Mm-hmm. So through my teenage years, um, I was trained classically on uh, violin and saxophone, um, and I still remember I think one of the first times it was at Norman's. Um, and this was kind of just it was probably the start of a, a group called the Boy Hairdressers um, you know um, and Norman handed me a bass and he said will you play that it's like I don't know how to play it he says well let's get four strings a little violin it'll be alright you know <laughs> it's a bit of struggle getting it under my chin right enough I have to say but <laughs> and that was kind of the start of things but that <clears throat> for me that was the first time I was ever in an environment where I didn't have music in front of me right. and it kind of it kind of blew my mind 
Um, you know, I grew up playing in orchestras and you're getting taught how to play Beethoven and Cacciatorian and all sorts of stuff. And then all of a sudden, I've, Norman hands me a bass and says, you know, and I was like, where's the music? He's like, just play what you want. And that was right at the time where I had, I had auditioned for the the Royal Academy of Music, what's cons- Conservatoire, as it's called now. Right. Um, and I think that was probably the first time I ever saw my dad really disappointed because having had a taste of this other way of making music I just it was a no-brainer for me I just loved this I didn't know where it was going I had no plan but I knew I didn't want to go and continue um, to maybe play in an orchestra become a teacher or something like that so What kind of music was played in your house when you were growing up? It was it was very um, I think I can remember most of the records that sat around the house were all opera mm-hmm. um, and uh, Simon and Garfunkel Bridge Over Troubled Waters Fantastic um, But I think my musical upbringing was very much... Um, so back then, my mum and dad, they used to have... My dad was the musical director of a, an opera group, um, Our, Lady's Hi, Our Ladies High, former pupils' operatic group, right? They always used to have parties. And, they, and, and the way they had parties back then was that people, their friends would come to the house with sheet music of the songs that they're going to sing throughout that night and my dad would sit at the piano and we'd whisk at the side and he would be like accompanying everybody so you know I, rem- I remember growing up uh, being up the stairs kind of trying to get to sleep in a bed that was hundreds of coats at the bottom of everybody's <laughs> you know <laughs> listening to all this uh, kind of opera singing and stuff like that do you know what I mean so that's kind of how I grew up but when through school um, when I was playing the saxophone we played in uh, the concert band um, and we were playing things like Burt Bacharach and um you know, Morricone and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I was introduced to all of that stuff at quite an early age as well, you know. So did meeting these guys on the train, Sean, Norman and that, did they introduce you to the bands that they were into? And did that really shape you? Or did you introduce them to the opera records? It, was, that were a, in it was a bit of both, you know. I mean, we were we were playing... So in the concert band at that time, we were playing a lot of Burt Bacharach. And we couldn't believe how amazing this music was. And I remember them going, it's rubbish, you know, listen to Throbbing Gristle instead. <laughs> so there's, there's all this kind of swapping music thing going on, do you know what I mean? And you would hear stuff, you know, I remember hearing things like uh, the Swell Maps, read about Seymour uh, in Norman's house, and I was just like, wow, this is amazing, you know? And then we just went on this musical journey. We, we all found ourselves getting into things like orange juice, pastels, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I d- we just kind of immersed ourselves in what was going on. We didn't realise, we, we didn't think we were doing anything. We didn't, there was no plan to kind of go, let's create something here. We were just, we just loved music. We loved hanging out. We loved having a laugh. Do you know what I mean? At that point, when you knew that you didn't want to be a music teacher or go the, the classical way, was it always in your mind that you were going to be creative in s- some way? Well, eventually I think I understood that. I didn't really understand at the time. Um, it, my, my inspiration for writing songs was what was watching and listening to Norman. He was the one who, you know, at the start of the Boy Hairdressers was coming up with these these tunes, and you know, I was just kind of mesmerised. Even though he was my friend, mm-hmm. you know, um, I was just like, I kind of want to do that as well, you know. And that that was kind of my inspiration initially. I thought I'd give it a go, um, and I was playing with obviously with the BMX Bandits as well and I was helping out with the Soup Dragons and actually in the studio with the Pastels one. I was doing lots of different wee things you know but eventually I was starting to come up with ideas myself and I, and I didn't know what you know so I just thought I'm going to try writing songs and um, I did um, a lot of them are shite but you know you've got to get there at some point you know got to wade through it and that was the beginning of my journey so I think way back then we were all kind of like I mean there's always this thing about it was like a core of people and we all played in uh, 
each other's band. We just swap instruments, and the band had a different name. That was kind of <laughs> what it was, you know. And it kind of was to an extent, you know. Um, and eventually, I think through gaining confidence um, and playing collectively with everyone, I, 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 you know, that first step of letting someone hear something you've written, um, and all of a sudden, you know, it, it was released on fifty third and a third, along with you know, and that was the start of my journey as well. But we still doing lots. We're still doing all of it, you know. I mean, it came to a head for me when I, I, I winding on a little bit, I signed, uh, Superstar signed to EMI in America, and at the same time the BMX Bandits were making an album, and I had written, um, or co-written quite a, f- a few of the songs with Douglas, um, mm-hmm. and one of the songs that was mis- uh, Douglas, Norman and myself, a song called Serious Drugs, um, which um, I don't think a lot of people realise the reason that there's two versions of that song. Um, I, I sang it initially, and that's the version that's on the album. Um, and the, the single version Norman sings because my record label wouldn't let me be the lead singer. So I'd quickly go in and uh, Norman sang the vocal on top of it. And that's that's when I realised that I have to just jump and go and do... Be. I didn't want to... to I mean, it caused a lot of hassle for for Douglas and stuff as well, you know, and it was like the expense of all of this. And it was just mm-hmm. rubbish. I was like, why? Yeah, people might get confused. I was like, nobody's heard my fucking records. Who's going to get confused about some guy they've never met? Do you know what I mean? Sorry for swearing there. So that was when I realised, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to have to go and do my own thing. Well, was that a bit disillusioned for you the, when you saw that the way that music business actually worked at that point? I, I mean, I would say, and I've, I mean, I've always said that the most fun that I've had with music was before any of us ever signed a record deal. Because it's just your mates. It's fun. It's like it's almost like anything else. As soon as money comes into play, things change. Do you know what I mean? And um, for me, it didn't feel good. You know, mm-hmm. there was something about it. I didn't like the balance. But this is me thinking about it retrospectively because at the time, you're just kind of so caught up in it. Mm-hmm. You know, the thrill of going places and playing music and working with people. And um, but retrospectively, looking at it, you know, I think the, the days when we were jumping in the back of a transit van with a mattress and a couple of amps to go and play a gig in London with no idea where you're going to stay. I mean, that was just quite thrilling. Thrilling, eh? You know. Um, but the great thing about that is it gives a real appreciation moving forward. You, you know, how, anything that you got, you know, if you went into a dressing room and you had a packet of Smarties and a can of tennis lager, you'd be like, oh, the big time. Do you know what I mean? So uh, it gave us a real appreciation, you know. I think um, a lot of musicians nowadays want too much too soon and they're really kind of taking themselves through. We, we got that for Paul Quinn as well. The, the early days when it was on adventure, then all of a sudden money gets involved, record companies get involved, there's pressure to sell units and stuff like Aye. that. And you, you jumped. At, you spoke about jumping in a van and going down to London there, eh? Yeah. Um, one of your first gigs in London was at supporting Dinosaur Junior and the Primal Scream, was it? The, That's right, the boy hairdressers, the yeah. The boy hairdressers, um, And that was actually when they, they weren't even called Dinosaur Junior then, they were called Dinosaur. So it was post. I think they, they, they I think there was some reason that they had to change the Dinosaur Junior. But it was Dinosaur. It was their first show in the UK. Primal Scream and the Boy Hairdressers. You know, at the time you're kind of like, yeah, it's, it's, what, it's what you're doing, you know. But looking back, you're just like, wow, what a great thing you'd be involved in, you know. And if you just had such a laugh going down, and we literally rolled up transit van, you know, as them to get any leads and all that, it's just <laughs> stuff, <laughs> bass with three strings on it and all that, and you're just kind of, you just go on with it, you don't, you're not, you don't look for excuses, because you're caught up in the thrill of just making music, do you know what I mean? It was just thrilling, yeah, the whole thing was brilliant, and it's your mates, and we're all still, you know, we're all still 
great friends even to this day, which is brilliant. Did you think at that time that it was quite unusual that a lot of years from that a small area in Lanarkshire were all creative, went on to create such fantastic music? I mean, at the time, we were wondering where we're going to get our next carry-out. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> we weren't looking at the big picture. You're just like thinking, what can we sell to get a carry-out? You know what I mean? Um, nah, you're just so caught up in it. I think a, a lot of people have asked about even, you know, the sounds that we created back then, you know, and how, how kind of, uh, you know, it's really create this real shambolic kind of sound you've created. That was us trying our best. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and everything's just like really cool. Just like, no, that was us at our peak. Just, you know, whatever we could get, big borrower steel, you get in the studio. I mean, you know, back then it's, it, was, it wasn't like a laptop and you could just make stuff and put it up on Spotify. Mm-hmm. You know, if you managed to get into a studio, you would make the most of it, whether you're in for an hour or a day. Do you know what I mean? And it, just the whole thrill of it. Everything kind of just, it took on a life of its own. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com Available to players in the US, excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You know, I don't think at any point, you know, there was no managers involved. There was no plan. You know, we fell in love with Creation Records. We fell in love with the Pastels. We fell in love with a club in Glasgow called Splash One. We didn't fall in love with the last <laughs> the last bus home in Motherwell <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's what we were just immersed in. You know, and you, I think we were, you know, we're all very kind of sociable folk and we liked you know we, we, we would meet people like Stephen Pastel and Bobby Gillespie and stuff like that and you know you eventually you, you become friends and, and you don't realise you're becoming part of anything because even it still now it doesn't feel like part of whatever mm-hmm. it's just how it was do you know what I mean what was the creation records like in the early 90s I can't remember no I just <laughs> <laughs> no it was even it was, uh, it was pretty nuts do you know what I mean I mean going down there if you ever went down to the, the offices and, you know, Alan was... Uh, <laughs> I don't know where to start, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good fun. It was all, you know, I mean, it was... I think a lot of the excesses that you hear about, certainly, I was on, on the fringe of, shall we say, do you know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I, and my focus was still really on music and just being part of something like that was amazing. But, you know, I still remember... I always describe my career as lucky when I started out I was in the right place at the right time I guess it's not lucky to still be doing it however many years later because that's still what I do professionally but that first moment that little bit of luck you know and that's through the fan club being with Creation and you know and getting to know Alan McGee and I made a demo of a song um, and gave it to him and this was kind of before mobile phones and all that and mm-hmm. I was going to be up to I was we up on a holiday somewhere my girlfriend at the time um, and I knew it was going to be in Inverness somebody's like phone me at uh, phone me at two o'clock and I'll let you know right and that was it 
So phone creation from a phone box. It's not there anymore because there was something in Inverness last year and I know the exact <laughs> spot where this phone box was, do you know what I mean? Um, and I phoned him up. He's like, hey, brilliant, Joe. It's three grand. Go and make a record, right? We'll put it out. Phone down. That was it. That was the start of, you know, superstar, I guess, you know. Um, and just kind of, obviously I was... I was helping out with Teenage Fan Club back then as well because the bandwagon S stuff and all this, mm-hmm. you know. So to, to still be part of this kind of bigger thing, but it's still all our mates, do you know what I mean? It's just amazing, you know. Like I said, the creation thing was about nuts. The officers were nuts. The people were brilliant. And it was just all these enthusiastic people. Well, I thought it was enthusiasm, but it might have been more than enthusiasm. <laughs> just saw these guys just really work their socks off at 90 miles an hour. Maybe it's a great way to discover. <laughs> There's maybe more to that business plan than Mary Eye, do you know what I mean? Creation at that time, they, you had big bands like the Primal Scream who were doing the Scream Adelica. You had the Teenage Fan Club with Bandwagon-esque ride with Gone Blank again. Mm-hmm. And how did you feel that you, you musically sat in creation? I guess I've never really thought about that in, in a way. I mean, I think musically for me, music has always came first for me, you know, and, and um, it's however it comes out, is that's kind of how it is. Do you know what I mean? And it just so happened that that mini-album... Greatest Hits Volume 1 was so well Great received. Great title. Absolutely you know? fantastic okay. title. I mean, that was just... If you're sitting around Bell's Hill drinking Bockfast, you're like, what do you call your band? We're like, we'll be a superstar. And you guffaws of laughter, so that was that tick. What's the album going to be? Well, Greatest Hits Volume 1, I know. Do you know what I mean? It's all very tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But the music wasn't. The music was serious side of it. Um, um, and I had no idea where this was all going, you know. Um, it was like, here, we made a mini-album, they put it out, like I said, it was really well-received. I think at the time we were the only band from the UK that was ever asked to tour Japan mm-hmm. on the that hadn't released, like, an album. So it just became this whirlwind of stuff going on, do you know what I mean? You just kind of went with it, do you know what I mean? I think, I'm, <clears throat> I mean, there was, there was a lot of strange things happened that have kind of come up since then. I mean, we did, um, I think it was like one of our first show in London um, after that coming out, and, of course, you know, it's just mobbed, and it's mobbed with kind of journalists and all this kind of stuff and actually something cropped up kind of more recently um, with a, a journalist that I'll not name who's actually been a big fan of mine for years and I, I had never really read reviews it's never really interested you know it's like you get your music to a point that you're happy with it and then whatever other people think that's what they're going to think but when my mum moved house almost a couple of years ago now I had boxes and boxes of press cuttings that had just been put away and stored and I just started to, to I thought, you know what, maybe now's the time to have a wee flick through some of this, you know. And I was amazed um, that um, how well-received we were musically. But I was also amazed at how people had to voice an opinion in my, my appearance at the time. Mm. I think at the time I was probably maybe about 18 stone or something like that. And this was like something, that I, I was very unaware of it, you know, you're just kind of like you're being yourself. But this seemed to be a real thing in the press. It's like, this music's amazing, but I think it was one one line um, from a very well-known journalist, and it was like, five, Fat Boys Yielding Fenders was the title. And the review was like a five-star review. And you're just kind of like, what's that all about? Very unaware of it at the time, do you know what I mean? I don't know why I'm talking about it now, but it's kind of weird. No, you know? uh, <coughs> journalists wouldn't get away. With that now, with that sort of comment, and it maybe just shows you the the strength of whatever music press at that time that they, they really did think that they could Aye. comment on that. Aye, and, and, and so so then you flick, you know, you're looking through other things, and there's little kind of there's always little kind of not I wouldn't call them digs. It was like it was just it was almost that need to mention appearance. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's that got to do with 
you know, you're talking about something. I mean, some of the things saying, no, the, the best singer he ever came out of, whatever, and beautiful songs and blah, 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 big guy or whatever. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You're just like, fucking nuts, man. Didn't bother me, you know, it's still. I'm glad I didn't read it at the time because it probably it probably would have had some kind of effect on me. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? I'm I've never been overly outgoing, but I'm quite a sociable person, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it probably would have had a bit of an effect. So you know, looking back on things now, could we have been a bigger band? I would say yeah. And I think some of that is probably down to the fact that we might maybe maybe I just didn't look the way I should have looked or something like that. You know, maybe it's because the music was shite. Who knows? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a bit of both. <laughs> you were talking about the, the, the camaraderie between you and all the other guys with Bells Hill. Uh, when you signed up to creation, did that camaraderie just continue between all the bands in creation as well? It did. You know what I mean? Because like, as we were all kind of... So so out of all of us, the band that really, really started to go was the Soup Dragons. You know, And I can only speak for myself, but I was so chuffed that they were getting to do the things they were doing and, and how it was growing for them. And then the same thing happened with the fan club. Now, bearing in mind that I was in the Boy Hairdressers, which was pre-Catholic education, and then they went on to do that. I couldn't have been happier, you know? It wasn't that we were never... We were never competitive in that way. I mean, you're always going to get some people that have got the old chip on the shoulder, do you know what I mean? Aye. But it just wasn't something that we had, you know, and even to this day. I mean, like, the thrill of, was it last December? Getting, no, this, this is typical Norman as well. So they had these dates booked for doing the, you know, the, going through the albums thing they did mm-hmm. last year, right? Um, and I've always been, still to this day, weird about just phone Norman saying, all right, if I come down, come to the show or whatever, you know. And I, so, I was lying in my bed one night and I just heard my phone go, bing, uh, 12 o'clock at night. And I was like, who's trying to get in touch? Who's getting in touch with me now, you know, Norman? It's like, hey, are you coming to the show next week? And I was like, I thought he was going to ask me to come down, you know. I text him back, he's like, I'd love to, that'd be brilliant. He's like, can you bring your violin and your saxophone? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, I've not played these songs for youngs, man. He's like, it'd be great, you know, it'd be great just to get you. So that was kind of that. So it wasn't a case of, you're, you're not getting in for nothing, you're going to sing for your supper, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But just the thrill of even doing that now, you know. Brilliant. It, it was amazing just standing up there. And, and it's that kind of thing, I couldn't have been happier for them. You know, I, I know I was a very small part of the bandwagon-esque era, but... Just the thrill of seeing the reaction to people reacting to songs that your mates have written is thrilling. I, I, I don't understand how people could think of it in any other way, but that's mm-hmm. just me being me and knowing the person that I am, you know what I mean? I remember hearing you at the time. I'm 16, 17, 18, and... You listen to Howard Jones and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You're very easily led, I would say, by the, the sheep, the NME and, and stuff like that. So I remember hearing your stuff and mm-hmm. going, that's a bit different for what I'm listening to at this precise moment in time. And it wasn't it wasn't until about ten years later, after I'd heard Pet Sounds, mm-hmm. after I'd heard Jimmy Webb mm-hmm. and you mentioned Bacharach earlier on mm-hmm. that I got his. I right. went, that's his Jesus, why did I not get that uh-huh. th- at the time? So what you're saying is initially you thought it was shite. It's just like awkward pause. (laughs) No, no, I just no, I totally get that. I I mean, that's happened a lot. I mean, I think um, I've I've found more recently that people are are having a real appreciation for a lot of superstar now. Mm -hmm. Um, And the problem, one of the main problems with it at the moment is it's not available anywhere, which is going to be rectified um, at the start of next year. So it's at the start of next year, the whole back catalogue's getting mm-hmm. um, reissued digitally. Digitally. Um, yeah. And there's been a lot of things. I mean, recently there's uh, that band, the American band Counting Crows, for example, have done like three podcasts on, on my 
superstar albums. That's mad. That is mad. You know, I mean, I, I can't listen to them, but my, you know, my mum has listened to me. She's like totally dissected it. It's, you know, apparently I'm his all-time favourite writer, and they've been in touch, and you know, and it's generated an, an interest in their back catalogue. It's something I've never really. I've always been really forward-thinking with music, mm-hmm. and I've spent all my time now working with young and up-and-coming bands as a producer and a mentor. So I, I kind of feel like that's done and moving on. But there's actually a real uh, growing interest in it. So. It's going to be coming out digitally anyway, and maybe um, some physical things are, are happening. That's all in the pipeline at the moment for kind of next year. So there might, at some point, be some kind of superstar show or something. That would I don't be know. brilliant. But so when you go back, or when I, when I go back and listen to the song "Superstar," mm-hmm. and you watch the video again where you're walking about Glasgow with a with a Buddha guy, Aye. and you, I, I'm, I'm trying to picture myself back at that time. Mm-hmm. And I'm going. There was nothing like that at oh. that time. And it was superb. I can look back on it now and go, I'm actually a, a bit embarrassed with myself. Uh-huh. And go, why did I not get that at so, the time when that actually happened? So, I mean, the, the interesting thing about that song is that that, that was almost like a, a kind of second wave of real interest. And that song came off the back of, as I would call it, Superstar Mark One, which was the creation superstar. We, when we signed to EMI in America um, and we released an album over in the States that was never released over here and there was a whole hoo-ha with that with the label, the head of the label got usual inter-label politics stuff the head guy got the bin and uh, the new guy phoned me up in Glasgow and said listen, um, so basically things didn't go well over in the States and the new guy came in and he said listen we're going to um, do this I want you to do another record we're going to put that one to the side and do another one but you poured your heart and soul into something and you're kind of like and it's the first time I probably took the huff the musical huff we ended up not doing it and so what happened was we had to wait out our contract you know the money dried up etc etc and I still remember having a band meeting with the guys and saying look there's no more money just now not sure what's happening um, and I just thought we're all buddies we're a gang they're all that see you later so I remember going we home. Bed. <laughs> so I remember no disrespect to my kid, I get it. You Aye. know, it's not a bad you know, at the time I just I remember walking home from uh Bertley Studios in Washington Street, uh, all the way to Shawlands and I got home and um my girlfriend at the time was going out that night and she could see something that happened to me. I was just, like totally shell shocked. And um I told her explain what had happened and I was like I was totally gutted. I thought we were all in this no matter what, you know. And she's like, I'll, I'll stay in, it'll be fine. I said, oh, right, you go. So <clears throat> she went out and I ended up drinking vodka and I wrote that song, um, Superstar, with the lyrics and all that and even sang the wee guitar line and all that and it would be Porter Studio. And I found it, like, days later. I'd forgotten I'd actually even done it, you know. And and that was kind of the start of everything else. And funnily enough, um, Rod Stewart covered it, as you know, probably. And, and he, he sings it like a love song. He does, eh? <laughs> but it's not. I mean, that was me reacting to breaking up with what I thought were my best friends do you know what I mean um, and I always find that really funny because I still remember getting that getting a cassette sent through from Rod's label to let me hear it and I, I, I mean I had a humongous hangover and to sign for it and all that and took it out of the thing and put it in the tape player and uh, I couldn't handle it I took it out the tape player and threw it in the bin <laughs> after about not because it was rubbish right? I was just like no, this, I can't, my brain can't handle this Rod Stewart thing going on you know um, and it was a couple of days later I had to, had to take time and listen to that as well but that was a funny thing I thought he's singing it like a love song but I suppose that's a great thing with music you take what you want from it you know have you, have you spoke to Rod about it have no you... do you know I was I was actually um, asked to come over and meet him when he was he was in Glasgow and, and 
was obviously for Celtic on, on Celtic business or he was maybe getting a new train for his train set I don't know what they do <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I was over in Dublin uh, one of my Lane Studios recording uh, I can't remember what album it was Fat Dark or something like that and I was so immersed in that I just said no I, I, I was too focused on what I was doing you know so no I haven't met him you know but he's been riding in the crest of my wave ever since definitely do you know what I mean <laughs> You've brung a fabulous knapsack, I must say, if that's what it's called, a knapsack, and it's full of programmes. Yep. So do you want to take out some of the programmes and talk us through some of the... Well, have a look at things that have... uh, Some of them them are um, obviously from my own experience, and some of them are from from my big cousin, John. See, I was was never at this game, but I do remember watching it. You know, the... um, Wales v Scotland. Was that not the replay of the qualifier at Anfield? Anfield. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Was that the old handball thing? George Alden, eh? Right. I think it was. Uh, I still remember watching that. Um, and I think that's the only Scotland strip I've ever had. That was one with the Umbro one with the diamonds down at the side, mm-hmm. wasn't it? That was my... That was, that was me... You can't get a... Uh, so I wasn't allowed a Celtic strip, but I was allowed a Scotland strip and a Liverpool strip. Because obviously Kenny Douglas. Kenny Douglas. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I did pep, the one with Hitachi, Hitachi uh-huh. on the front of that one. Uh, I was at this game... Celtic Real Madrid. That's a cracking programme. So on, on the front here we've got. Is it Bobby Lennox? And it's uh, what's his name? Laurie Cunningham. Martin, you had a wee look through that programme. I'm program, pretty eh? sure it is. Cunningham was on the uh, front of it. Aye, aye, it is. Let's see. What do you remember about that game? I'm sure I remember Celtic winning, didn't they? Did Celtic not win this game? Two 0 at home. Yeah. Two 0 at home. Johnny Doyle scored. Ah, mm-hmm. They got beat three so nothing in the replay. Yep. Though, eh? I remember being gobsmacked at the fact that Celtic could beat Real Madrid. You know, because it's Real Madrid. Not because I've got no faith in Celtic, obviously. Mm-hmm. Got every faith in Celtic. So, yeah, and I remember being at that one. I, lo- I love that, Joe. Like, there's hardly any pa- pages in it, but it's the font, the font of the European Cup. I know, it's brilliant. It, it, it? It's fantastic. <laughs> Just, I love all the, it. Some of the great things about these older programmes is like the, the adverts, it's all local businesses and uh, adverts for. Uh, Kensett's Club right in the front of the <laughs> just for that healthy kind of sporting approach Ian Skelly's obviously remember the old Ian, Ian Skelly yeah. where is he now Arnold Clark's taking over for him isn't he uh, and moustaches that's an absolute belter of a Stuart Kennedy moustache look at that brilliant it's eh? a beast it's a beast so uh, you know I probably appreciate more these more at the time. What, what do you what do you feel about when you look back at these now? Do they, do they just stir memories of going to the football with your dad? And aye, do you know they make me think of uh, pipe tobacco it's up the back of the upper stand, whereas posh folk were. That was there was there was always like people smoking pipes and smoking cigars and all that. 
And I used to love the smell of um, the old pipe smoke. So when I look at these, it makes me think of that. and makes me think of lots of priests. Because they were all, not in not in a weird way, <laughs> just in a, just in a in a kind of like they all they all come up. But they, they had their own wee gate, didn't they? They did, didn't they? Aye. Aye. So yeah, we were aye. quite we were kind of near all of that kind of stuff, you know. Always waved to Father Healy. Right, Father, how you doing? See, you, you were up there with the pipe smoke. I was in I was in uh, the West Terrace and covered with, in piss. With, covered in piss. Uh, <laughs> uh, I so I, and, I used and, to remember and hoping the away fans didn't come through the toilet. Oh. <laughs> No, we had we had, I I don't understand what you're talking about. We had none of that. <laughs> there's, uh, a, there's a few motherwell ones shown through on there as oh well. Oh, there is. There's one. I think there's one motherwell one in particular. It's like one of the very. I think this is probably the only. There's a couple of things about this motherwell game. Um, it was the first away game I think that I ever went to, and it was obviously because I stayed out that way. But the reason I got there was because my aunt, she was a PA for was it the Boyle family, used to own motherwell. Involved in motherwell, yeah. Yeah, so she was his PA. And one Christmas she got um, myself and my cousin John uh, for her Christmas two Motherwell season tickets, which is mental because we went to see Celtic anyway. But, you're, you know, anyway, so the only... I've, I've still got the booklet with one torn uh, ticket from it and it was for this game. Um, and if my memory serves me correct, Celtic won 7-0. But we were sitting in these seats which were obviously quite posh, again. They were mm-hmm. kind of the director's box. And I remember jumping up for the first goal and not jumping up for the other six because people were looking at us looking in a at weird kind of way. So um, it's really, really fond memories of that. And it was the first time that had been at the football. We were still quite young, but we, we were taken there. My dad took us there and let us go in on our own. And, and so it was kind of being at grown-up football or something like that, you know. I felt if I wanted to say jobby or something, I could do it. <laughs> um, I, I didn't, but I could have. And uh, Yeah, so there you go. So that's uh, that's the significance of that programme. What do you feel about uh, modern football now? Because not many people buy programmes now. Like the, if you want nostalgia, you go on YouTube. You, you, that a lot of folk don't collect stuff anymore, and that I do think it's slightly coming back. And what, what do you feel about modern football, <clears> the modern game? If you think back to, if I think back to when I was growing up, you know, when a game was going to be live on the telly, it was like a proper event. It was like wow, and and you would watch some games that you weren't really overly interested in because it was like a live football match. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's really kind of, I think it's totally oversaturated. To be honest, you know, you can watch every game or whatever you want, legally, legally or illegally. Uh, I would say legal, go legal. I think, I mean, people are always into nostalgia. Aren't they? It's the same in music. Mm-hmm. You know, you're very nostalgic about it, and we we'll probably be nostalgic about football now in ten or fifteen years' time. Go and remember Ronaldo. Remember. Whatever the real Ronaldo, aye, aye, exactly the, the, the real Ronaldo, exactly. <laughs> you know, remember Ball and Golly. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know. It's I think um, last um, the last um, kind of week of uh, Champions League games, for example, on B, you know, on BT Sport, I couldn't get interested. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You're just sitting there and you're going flick, 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 and eventually just turned off and played FIFA. Boys, are, boys, are got FIFA. 20, but I'm the best in the house. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I do love it. I love. I mean, it's difficult for me as well because being out in Argyll, in the middle of nowhere, I don't get to go to the football um, anywhere near as much as I would like to. So I'm always scrambling around to try and uh, see the game live. Mm-hmm. Or when live in Argyll's about forty seconds after it's actually a thing. So you've got to be very careful about what you're streaming. 
So if you're watching it live and you want to feel part of it, you can't have Twitter on or you can't have one goal or anything like that. Do you know when you've got to like switch everything else off to be in the moment? And if sometimes you forget, and it's just like, how's the game finished? Do you know what I mean? You're waiting for that last minute goal. Um, my, my dodgy TV box is the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, you know, rural, rural uh, Celtic supporting is a, it has its uh, challenges, but mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. You want to watch your team, you watch it. Do you know what I mean? But I definitely think kind of the there's 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 a little less excitement about football. Not about watching your team. Not about watching Celtic. You know, I can get excited about watching them any day of the week, playing against whoever. You know, me and Lambie actually sat through that whole Hamden season. You know, so that I think that makes you like a really really kind of staunch. No, that's not the word to use, but Celtic supporter. There's one game in particular. I think it was a, I think they drew against Falkirk, and me and me and Lambie had one pair of gloves between the two, and we were sitting right down the front, and it was pouring, and we swapped gloves at half time, and we sat on our other hands. Do you know what I mean? And you're thinking, my God, we must love this. <laughs> I, I think that the Hamden season overall was just one of these badge of honours that the Celtic fans have got. I, I'll wear that badge of honour yeah, with pride. We used to go up, so the, at the time I think I was probably, both me and Jim were, were, we were signing on, so it depended whose gyro it was, spot the tickets, <laughs> and we would, I stayed <clears throat> in Shawlands, so it was my job to get up early in the morning of the game, and go over, because they did the, the, the wee kind of portable ticket office, I right, say. Right. so I'd go up really early and we'd get a couple of tickets, do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and there was the there was the one time where I did that and I uh, lost the tickets and uh, we had <laughs> we somehow managed to get enough money together to buy another couple of tickets. It was quite quite the thing. But you just it's what you do in it. Hamden, I remember we got stuffed off Partick Thistle, mm-hmm. uh, free none, and it was a dreadful. And our supporters bus used to drive past Celtic Park as it was getting rebuilt. <laughs> and that used to make us go this is going to be worth it in the end when we eventually move back to that stadium yeah. but yeah. then when you got into the game you were five minutes in you're going there's no boozers around here and <laughs> <it's> pure <laughs> rubbish was that, was that my memory may be playing tricks on me again but was that not the season that Pierre Van Hooydonk came to Celtic Van Hooydonk arrived in that January Aye, and, I, remember, I remember the two of us sitting almost in line with that goal that he scored from outside the, he, he scored from way outside the box or something didn't he he Just, scored against Hearts on his yeah, debut yeah, aye. Aye. so I remember sitting talking to Jim going who is this guy man who is he who is he? Who is he? And you're just like, whoa! He's a genius, man! You know, it's just like one of those kind of... Yeah. I, I used to love watching Pierre Van Hooydonk as well, I have to say. He, he, he was a fantastic player for Celtic, eh? No, obviously, he had some issues which followed him through his career. It just Aye. wasn't weren't at Celtic. But, yeah. I mean, that night when we signed him, he made his debut against Hearts. He added 10,000 onto the crowd. Aye. You, you wouldn't get that now because nobody knew him. I know. Who's, who's this big guy? It's, I know. It's came and and uh, with a nickname Huggy. I know. <laughs> it's just those wee little wee things that are so exciting. And I mean, you, I think back then, you know, you know the, the the fact that he was from Holland or the Netherlands or whatever you want to say, you know, coming to play at Celtic in Glasgow, that was quite exciting. Mm-hmm. But it's like nowadays, it's like you know, people play everywhere, you know. Um, would Celtic be able to actually sign the top goal scorer in the, the Dutch league now? I mean, effectively, like he kind of started no. that um, international feel about Celtic. Cause before that, it was all that's very Scottish signing. See, I wasn't sure if that was the case, but that's how I always felt about it. Because mm-hmm. he's the one that kind of sticks in my head as being like this kind of, uh, you know, 
man from another place type thing you know it's like quite exciting quite exotic do you know what I mean in that kind of way because straight after him you've got Andy Tom yep. Cadet yep. De Canio um, all, all sort of arrived uh-huh. after that and it was quite exciting and sexy I know I, I, rather than watching Willie Faulkner so we went for Hamden to sexy somehow <laughs> <laughs> not via a pub because it wasn't any <laughs> but yeah no I think that's kind of cool I loved the uh, I was I was going through all that. I, so literally I've got a box of like stuff related to uh, kind of days of supporting Celtic mm-hmm. and I've got some scarves obviously um, that I was never allowed to wear outside kind of weird wearing them in the house just wondering about it wouldn't be like a Celtic supporter be a Liverpool strip on um, but I also had that I forgot I had, had that um, Nakamura top 25 in the back which is the, the thing me is all breaking off now is it the Carlsberg thing Carlin Carlin it's all kind of cracked up and all that Mm -hmm. frightened to to wear it anymore you know but he was something else as well wasn't he Ah, fantastic I I remember the day that I heard that we were going to sign him was the day I was getting married and that was the first day that "Ah, we're we're going to sign this you remember your wedding anniversary (laughs) 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 we're going to sign this Japanese boy and I'm going what are we signing and genius absolute genius incredible I'm just picturing lots of free kicks in my head there I know I know dead ball expert that's all that's the it was so much more than that right enough he was mm. I actually remember I took this shirt out and Isaac my oldest um, he was like who's, who's Nakamura and I was like YouTube check this out <laughs> check it out and it was just like a, a montage of his uh, like free kicks just free uh, kicks and he's, Isaac's like whoa he's amazing I was like yep two and he's still playing Aye. he's still playing amazing. In still scoring right? no, he's still scoring goals so Joe what's your future plans then well, I've spent the last few years working with younger, uh, younger bands. Kind of, it's like mentoring production. Thing. In my opinion, artists nowadays don't have enough time to develop. You know, it's kind of like they record something, and all of a sudden, you know, it's on Spotify and BBC introducing are jumping on it, and you know, and there's nothing to follow up. And it's it's a bit of a shame, really, having that little burst of kind of excitement, and then they, they've got nothing to follow up with. You know, when we, I, I remember watching an interview. Quite recently, actually, it was an old interview with Kevin Rowland from Dixie Midnight Runners. Um, it helped me understand why we had so much time back then to develop as musicians. It's because we could sign on. Mm-hmm. And that was almost like our development process because there was no pressure to do anything else, which is now the kind of modern-day pressures for young young f- focus that they have to have job they have to have all of these things do you know mm-hmm. what I mean and I think it's had a real effect on music so I've spent a lot of my time over the last two or three years working with younger artists that I believe are worth spending time on and I actually ended up setting up a company called Single Track and it's um, a joint venture I have with my management um, IE Music who look after like Robbie Williams Craig Armstrong Passenger so we're in pretty good company mm-hmm. so they're my business partners now and we're bas- I've basically got uh, I've got time to develop these younger artists and get them all the way to the stage where they're ready to release and we can actually release now with our partnerships we've going on. So I've been heavily in- involved in doing that and I love it. It feels To me, it feels a lot more relevant. You know, it's like the enthusiasm of younger folk making music. It makes me... It, it reminds me of sitting in the back of that transit van with the boy hairdressers. It's got that kind of excitement about it, do you know what I mean? So doing that, the Superstar back catalogue um, has not been available for a long time. Um, it's going to be getting released digitally to start off with at the beginning of next year um, and there may be a few interesting things happening alongside that and I'm almost finished my first ever solo album which will be coming out as soon as it's finished it's nearly finished um, so yeah, keep busy, you know and uh, walking the dog, watching the football that's the records, you know what I mean 
Joe McAlinden with a Celtic state of mind. Thanks very much. Well, thanks for having me. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.